Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, hey, welcome back, Solar Warrior. I am really pleased that you are joining us for another fantastic dive into the world of renewable energy. This is Public Power Week, and I have an amazing episode for you. Here we go. This week's entrepreneur is an entrepreneur who's risen to the title of CEO of the largest public power gas and electric utility in the United States, that being CPS Energy down in San Antonio. What, what, my Texas people? This one is for you. Hopefully, you will certainly be familiar with Miss Paula Gold-Williams. Paula Gold-Williams is, as I mentioned, CEO for San Antonio-based CPS Energy, a company that leads more than 3,100 team members and more than $2 billion in annual revenue. You'll want to keep listening if you want to hear how this accountant has risen through the ranks to achieve the title of CEO of one of the most important utilities in the Lone Star State. I'm super excited to have had Paula on the show, and I just love her energy and her zeal for serving others. I'm also really impressed with the thoughtfulness that she and her team have crafted around a massive renewable energy commitment. They've just rounded out an RFI for 900 megawatts of solar and storage. It is a historic amount of renewable energy to be added to the CPS portfolio. So listen in as she and I dig into the details. And if you love this episode, then I do hope you'll check out more than 300 additional founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com where we dig into the life and times, career trajectory, obstacles, and successes of clean energy leaders. Please sign up to receive a notification every time we have new information coming out like this fantastic episode. And by the way, if you haven't checked out our events lately, Suncast Puerto Rico is next week. You can still check out the agenda and sign up to attend our virtual 3D immersive world at suncastpr.com. But for now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune into another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Warriors, as I mentioned in the intro, we're celebrating Public Power Week this week. And if you don't know what that is, well, stay tuned because we're going to talk to the nation's largest public power provider, the president and CEO of CPS Energy, Paula Gold Williams leads a team of more than 3,000 people, an organization of more than $2 billion in revenue every year, and she worked her way up from the bottom. Today on Suncast, Paula Gold-Williams. So Paula, I'm eager to hear your version of the path from Luann Platters 
to kilowatt hours. <laughs> Originally, when I finally uh, graduated, started working in public accounting, a lot of public accountants have a specialization that could be hospitals, banks, banking, financial institu- institutions. Mine was uh, SEC companies and um, I did communications, newspapers, um, just just a myriad cable. Cable was a was a big industry for me. Those audits last a long time. It was it was broad, varied, and then I peppered in. I did all kinds of things. I was just a, a, a wide utility, not utility industry, but u- utilization of of the accounting portfolio. And so I really, what I really figured out is I liked variety. I liked companies. I liked I like the ability to see a lot of talented people all come together, solve issues and and run businesses. But I left, I went to go work for a theater operations company that was owned by Norman Lear, a Hollywood producer. He wanted to be in the operations uh, side of of that business. But I was kind of of a nomad. I kind of was uh, moving around. I went back to cable and was in that industry. I was a controller in that industry for about eight years. Then I got rec- recruited to Luby's that was publicly traded at the time. They're a cafeteria company big in the South and, and Southeast. Uh, unfortunately, you know, I just saw an article recently that they are, uh, they are thinking about closing the company down or selling it off. And so I, I saw, again, a lot of companies come and go. My, the, I was uh, auditing industries that, that you know, not, aren't even here anymore. Photo finishing was one of them. Again, you know, that was, that was a place where you actually dropped your little, little container of film in a package, put it in a kiosk, and you would come back two to three days later. And you were excited because, poof, magic, there were pictures. An envelope of them, yeah. Right. Who would ever thought now that you can have, you know, all this on your phone. So so um, ultimately, I just moved around a lot and we were about to move to Houston. I would, my job was moving to Houston and I got a phone call to try to come work for the um, to interview with the utility company. And I, I thought I'd never get in because, you know, traditionally this industry, long assets, long careers. If you didn't come in right away back then, that's not the case today. Today, you can enter at, at any point at any age. So they, they interviewed me four times and I took a pay cut and I took a demotion and title, but I thought the industry was fascinating. I thought that, you know, the mission and the things that, that it does in terms of, you know, supply energy was just so fundamental to our life. And I think that was one of the best decisions I ever made. And it was hard because we used to analyze the food costs on a Luan platter. And then all of a sudden I'm measuring, you know, kilowatt hours and, megawatt hours and, you know, all of these things. And it was, and it was intangible, you know, energy is an art enabled by high technology. I've thought at various times about how I might position this episode and the, the notion, the education of a non-industry executive to, you know, to the utility business comes to mind. How, as a, as an accountant, as a controller, your attention to detail is, ta- is tantamount to success. And I would argue as well that you learn how to learn because you always have to uncover, you have to uncover things, right? How does one with that attention to detail and I would say ability to assimilate data, go about learning about a 200 year old industry, a 100 year old company sufficient to be able to take on higher levels of leadership? What did that look like? 
you you hit it uh, so many points right on the head. I consider myself uh, a unicorn and a phoenix in this industry. <laughs> um, I'm I'm unusual, you know. I am. A, I, I think in terms of of accounting, but again, my past experience was one where I could find myself switching industries. You know, accounting is always the same. It's imbalance. Uh, the logic happens. If you can read financials, you can understand how people make decisions. I mean, I figured all that out. And so I, you know, I, I know how to do that. I also figured out for the things I don't know, for the highly technical things, I'm not an engineer. Um, I triangulate information. I really listen to folks. You still have to, no matter what, everybody needs money. And money is the, it, money is the common uh approach to really solving everything. An engineer always needs enough money to figure out what projects work. And then the justification of why, you know, a dollar spent here is the best next dollar. When we can have that, those conversations and then triangulate information, meaning I will ask a lot of people, a lot of things. I always consider myself in learning mode. And I even, I even talked to my clerks, the clerks that when I came in as controller, you know, they would they would teach me things about the, about the industry from their perspective and they would correct me and they would. Uh, I, and I tell them when I see him in the hallway, you know, not not as much as we used to now. It's all virtual. But I would say, you know, you grew me up in the industry. And so yeah. I, 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 you're right. I'm a student from from this. And I, and I learned from everyone. Yeah. Student of polymath. And sounds like you are good at not only triangulating, but building consensus. Right. Being able to say. And I bet this happens in the hallways of CPS, although I haven't asked these kinds of questions of your of your team, that you might be the kind of leader who now goes to those clerks and says, hey, when I was coming up, we thought this and this about these people in the organization. Well, let me tell you what I've learned. Do you have any examples of that sort of epiphany or changing of position about other roles in the, in the business that help you? You know, that's a, that's a fascinating point. I, I would say that, um, you, you know, our memories are long in the industry, right? Yeah. And um, <laughs> I remember, you know, I've been here now 16 years. And I remember when we were talking about Vision 2020 and everybody was thinking about it. And, and um, we had a CEO, Milton Lee, who, you know, just amazing, charismatic leader. And he would, you know, talk to us about our core values and 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 generating uh, the generation side of our business and the value proposition. And for us, okay, you know, it was a different day and time. And so uh, gas uh, was so expensive and so volatile. It oftentimes made, you know, very expensive technologies um, really look, you know, effective. Nuclear kind of, it was, it was easy to think about a large box nuclear case. And so our thoughts were very different. And we also thought things like, you know, you just build plants. You don't really kind of wait for new technology. We were probably more in the space of if it's proven, that's what we're going to do. And we were never on the bleeding edge and maybe resisted the leading edge of things more tried and true, more proven, um, very, you know, very proud of what we do all the way from from the front line to the clerks, all the way up to the executives. And, and so this is a huge thing to see our industry go through so much change and evolution. And, um, and, but the funny thing is sometimes you can't feel it because you're right in the middle of it. So that that's the kind of conversations we have now. Well, as I said, in the lead up, it is public power week. Now I am going to make an assumption that there are those listening who maybe don't even understand that phrase public power. Could you help 
from the position of the largest public power utility in the United States. Could you help us understand what public power means? Absolutely. Um, you know, public power, the, I think the biggest thing that, that is unique about it is that it is owned typically by some uh, type of governmental entity. And a state, a city, we're owned by the city of San Antonio. We've been around for 160 years. We were first a gas company and we evolved to be an electric company. And so both of those uh, offerings complement uh, each other and, and we make it work. But public power could be very different. It could, you know, just like just like IOUs, it could be uh, that, you know, you could be in the generation business. We're in the generation business, transmission business, distribution, and we serve customers. But there are some that just are in the distribution business, some that are only in the wholesale business. It depends on what the owning entity want to, wants to do. Now, I would say that for CPS Energy, we have the same functional approach to what what an IOU would do. I mean, we generate power. We most of our most of our power goes to supply San Antonio, which is the seventh largest city in the nation now. But we also put about fifteen percent of our capacity out into the ERCOT market competitively. So we have a floor where we buy and sell power. We don't, though, do things in terms of trying to be opportunistic. We don't we don't go. I think we can make a ton of, ton of money in the wholesale markets. And that's how we're going to we're going to drive our decisions by taking huge risk and bets. Our first thing that we do is a municipal utility and public power is this. We always think about um, all of the resources that we have and are honored to manage. But we say we're doing it in a fiduciary responsibility for the citizens in the area that we serve. And we treat, public power treats their customers um, as the investors. And so there aren't, you know, the investors that we have are bondholders, which are very, very important. They make everything affordable. But we, we, we treat our actual natural investors, legacy investors, people who have been in our community for generations as our investors. And I think that's kind of the, our perspective is, is a bit different. But the functionality and the operational and the decisions we make, I think, are the same. For those who want to learn more, I'm actually going to link to publicpower.org. A couple of things that I learned that I'll uh, just add in here that I think are interesting statistics for the listener to take into consideration. One in seven Americans are served by a public power utility. That's more than 2,000 communities in 49 states, five U.S. territories. One other interesting fact that we'll come back to is that as a whole, public power utilities have lower rates than other types of electric utilities. One of the things that I'm curious to understand, and obviously CPS is a much larger entity than say Alameda Power in the Bay Area, which many listeners would be familiar with because it is a popular muni uh, utility in California. Many municipal utilities don't generate power at all, or if they do, it's a very small portion. How does CPS differentiate in that regard? Well, I mean, it's true. Um, we have a, a lot of our overall industry doesn't have to produce it because uh, they can procure it, they can buy it. And, and that's why oftentimes they're very interested in uh, purchase power agreements for solar. And so they keep their flexibility up. But CPS Energy, I mean, we're the largest municipally owned electric and gas company. We have always been a supplier and we've always felt like and, and that we need to control 
our ability to optimize the generation of power. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to do it all, but we're really good at that. We, we have been um, overseeing the construction, building, and, and operation and maintenance of plants for decades and decades. But we do have a lot of PPAs. We have, a, we have about 7,000 megawatts of capacity, and about 1,000 of those megawatts are wind, and uh, both are utility scale and are distributed. We have about 600 megawatts of solar. A lot of it is, uh, you know, purchase power agreements because we have also learned how to, how to partner. And we think um, partnering in the industry, it makes a ton of sense these days. But we feel like we have the expertise to, to again, um, own or, so to speak, lease or buy. You know, one of the things that interests a lot of listeners of Suncast is the dance that we commonly play as an industry in renewables with the utility industry. And I want to get into some of that conversation down, down a bit further down in the conversation. Many in the solar industry have for more than a decade said, hey, give us a chance as this technology scales, you're going to see we're going to provide you the lowest rates. And as we see batteries come online, we see how not only can we provide low rates, we can provide firm power. As a whole, public power utilities have the lower rates as a category than traditional utilities. So given that the discourse around the cost or presumed embedded cost of renewables has been that it just costs too much, I'd love to understand from the leader of one of the largest muni utilities, how renewable energy can help CPS actually keep those rates low, not challenge this notion. Here's our, our general philosophy. If, if you're going to be part of the evolution, there's a, there's a normal curve to things. When, when you're excited about something and you, you, um, you're in the ideation stage and you think about what can you do differently, you, you think about it and it's initially pretty expensive and the efficiency isn't necessarily that high. But in reality, you know, we've done a lot of research. Solar uh, energy as a concept has been around for decades and decades. Um, it didn't have the, the level of popularity that it enjoys now. I mean, I think across the globe, people have a natural preference for solar and that make, makes a ton of sense. It, it comes out and you see it every day. It's part of, you know, how you enjoy your, your life. And so over time, what's happened is the effectiveness of this technology has, has moved up significantly and the cost has really come down from high points to very low points. And, you know, it's critical that in our industry, we do have drivers that actually bring the price points down and optimize making solar more affordable. And, and, and right now solar uh, energy more affordable and solar is great at that. There were times though, I mean, we, we put out a wall street journal, a campaign um, about a decade ago, and we were, you know, we were interested, but the prices were much higher than they are today. But our our mm -hmm. article, said, I mean, our, our ad said, you know, interested utilities looking for a hot new solar and you know company that wants to make it happen. You know, so oh, we like, a, like a like a dating ad. Like That's dating, so good. Like a dating thing. Oh we my loved gosh. It. It was and and but what we were trying to do was attract people to keep making those efforts and keep making improvements. And here we are. And that's what what happens. We're always looking for that nexus point of you know more affordability and more efficiency. So that's how how we've always embraced it. And so in 2012, we did a big global RFP. 
And we said, you know, anyone can come do business with with us. We want to think global and act local, and we want our community to get the benefits of that. So again, I think I think every technology has its challenges. Every single one. There's not one that doesn't. But I do think that the benefits that come from solar are tremendous. When you put it, and, and now what we've done is bundled the concept of solar to your point with firming capacity with energy storage. I mean, I think that's kind of the holy grail. And um, and we still expect more improvements to come. Well, certainly preaching to the choir on our side. I want to switch gears a minute and come back a bit to the career growth that you have experienced. Because in this story, while we've alluded to the fact that you are, in fact, the CEO, we haven't arrived there yet in the narrative. And I'd like to unpack that final chapter. So since Enron and Sarbanes-Oxley more than two decades ago, the path to CEO has, in fact, migrated from sales and marketing, which is super common in the 70s, 80s, 90s, to accounting and CFOs because the need to control and ensure that we have a correct audit path, especially in energy, has become increasingly important. Did you ever expect, as a lowly accountant <laughs> who didn't get the meetings or didn't get the attention in the meetings and, and decided to change her career direction several times, uh, did you ever think that you'd become the leader of a 100-plus-year-old 3,100-person 30, organization responsible for $2.5 billion in annual revenue? Never. <laughs> the, the answer to the question was never. It was never in my in my vision. You know, I again, I you know, I talked earlier that I really didn't really know professionals, and even when I joined accounting, I struggled because I didn't have the connections to 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 your point. When I started, it really was about sales and marketing, and the people who rose up in the organization were people who could you know get more accounts than everyone else. And I remember I did a, I tell the story sometimes. I didn't know what to do, right? So I couldn't, I was like, how am I going to do this? I need a book of business. I need, I need to bring in clients. So I started a cold calling effort. I sat down one day and I picked up the, when there was a phone book and I started going down the list of person, you know, uh, people and companies. And and I always laugh and think about Ghostbusters because, you know, the guy, the accountant in the, in the, in the uh, movie oh, goes, yeah. Who does your taxes, right? So there I am on the phone. I said, who does your audit? Would you like somebody to do the audit? And, you know, people are like, who are you? Click. And, and so I always knew that my journey was going to be about adding value. I used to get the assignments that nobody wanted. I didn't get the plum assignments. Um, I just, I just was that person who you could count on. I was just that person to your point. I could learn something quickly. I could bring teams together. I could lead with influence as well as with authority because I had this value proposition that I, you know, no matter how many assets you have, it's all about your people, no matter what your company's doing, it's all about your customers. So I figured that part out. But I never thought that I would be CEO. So when I came here, again, I took a demotion. I was a controller. I did that for a while. I, could, I had been doing that for decades. So I could close the books and do all the accounting that I needed to do. As I'm, I'm pretty heavy in theory. But what I really liked were my people. Again, I, I, mean, I, would, I would take my clerks to coffee and, and lunch and I would talk to them. I, again, if your people are good and you care about them, I believe, then that makes, uh, you know, part of their lives uh, so much better. And I think that's what got me noticed. 
I got asked to be the chief administrative officer. We didn't have one at the time. So my, my, my uh, Milton called me again and said, would you like to be that? And I, I have learned this. If somebody offers you opportunity uh, and you say yes, uh-huh. and so I said yes. And then I said, he said, well, that's great. You, you'll start next week. And I go, that's great. What is it? And what will I be doing? And he generally described it. But then I said, you know what? He's giving me opportunity. I'm going to I'm going to figure it out. So that's been my career. And then when I became moved up ultimately to be CFO, I really didn't know exactly what I was doing either. And I became CFO during the 2008 mortgage-backed security crisis, all of the issues on Wall Street. It was it was a lot of pressure. We struggled. I struggled. Uh, but I got you know, I got my footing here and there. And then I end up working with a consummate professional, um, Doyle Benneby, who had moved from Exelon to CPS Energy because he saw opportunity. He saw the value of municipals, but he was hard on me. He would, when I screwed up, and that's why I call myself the Phoenix, because he didn't fire me even if he wanted to. (laughs) I would come back every day and I would take my lessons learned and I would incorporate them and get better and better and better. And uh, eventually he said, First, he said, I don't I don't think you want to be an CEO in this business. It's too hard. It's complex. You're not an engineer. Uh-huh. Um, that sounds like a challenge. Well, well, yeah, it was. And he's, and then he said, he reminded me, he goes, this is a dangerous business, right? And because mm. the worst thing that, that can happen is you can lose an employee because, you know, some accident. Right. And, and, Very serious. And, and he said, you know, and, and you know, we, we had a lot of good conversations. He basically said, stay in your lane, become a good CFO and and you'll be fine. That's a great career. And I he must have seen a spark in you, this idea. Like otherwise, why would he plant the notion that you might be aspiring to be the CEO? Well, you know, I, I don't know. I, I would actually say I don't know if he did I don't think he did see it. And he but he but in the industry, what because we're we're long in careers and we're long in assets, you do talk to your people about um, succession, right? And so that's actually a disciplined aspect of what we did before and we do today. And he, he was giving me feedback and he would talk to me about, um, don't get to be such a big head as a top executive and that you forget to go to the front line and talk to your people. And he would, you know, he'd quote Reagan and say, you know, trust, but verify, dig in, ask questions. Don't, don't think that, you know, work is beneath you. And I think what he just did was help me rebuild my leadership model and systems. And he moved, he decided to go and leave the company, decided he was going to work on, and he did for a while, um, trying to bring um, new distributed energy solutions to underdeveloped con- uh, countries and parts of the world. It was it was an amazing mission, and he and I sometimes would talk. And he's like, "I'm on, I'm, I'm, you know, on the plane going to Europe and going to Africa, and I'm, you know, I'm doing all these things." And he and 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 I didn't want him to go because he and I had really figured out a really good recipe. But he said to me, "I'm out the door." He goes, "I used to think you couldn't do it, and um, but now I see you can." And he goes, what I what I learned is you're not going to do it the way I did it. You're not going to do it the way an engineer does it. Um, you've got to figure out what your priorities are and where you want to focus, focus and what you're passionate about and remember everything you learned. And I that was the biggest compliment I've ever gotten um, professionally. And that was the biggest and best advice I had gotten. And so it's not it wasn't. And that's true for everyone. It's not that. You need to be anointed in this business, really. Um, you need to be your own 
your own um, litmus, right? And your own, you, know, you need to check your own reality. And and because the industry is changing and because there's so many people, you know, really coming in and making it much more dynamic, your place is to absorb that. Your place is to be self-critical and, and, and continually be open to those things. And I just think I figured it out. I mean, I think I went in the ashes, came out, figured it out. And I started as interim. I mean, that's a whole nother telenovela. <laughs> um, because I, I still didn't think that, you know, at first that this was going to be my career choice, but I did it for about six months. And, then, and yeah. the board said, you're actually doing this job. And, and now it's been five years. And wow. um, I work at a company that I love in a city that I love with 3,100 people who are passionate about what they do. It's hard. It's, mm. you know, nobody knows how the sausage is made. But it's an exciting time. The industry is just evolving right before our eyes. I know. And we're managing through COVID and economic downturn and and still in the energy industry. I think it's just it's so promising. When I listen to you speak, I'm reminded of someone who I admire uh, for her role in history. So I hope you don't mind the comparison. Uh, Eleanor Roosevelt said, it's not fair to ask of others what you're not willing to do yourself. Uh, she also said famously, no one can make you feel inferior without your consent. And mm. as I think about those two quotes, they both tie really well to your experience coming up through the ranks, becoming CEO. So within the context of those two quotes, your prominence in the industry as an African-American female CEO of an energy business, what does people first mean mm. to you? It was originally based out of some work that one of my top executives, you know, was doing. And it was more about we have a very highly focused safety uh, view and program. Again, you know, my Doyle told me, be worried, be worried that when people go out in the field every day and they get, you know, distracted, that it could be catastrophic to, to fatal. And so I wanted to always think about people's safety. And I always I also always wanted to think about their their mental well-being, right? How can they focus? How can they keep everything in balance? So I kept thinking about, you know, the, our people. And this was like the, the day before I was officially, you know, starting the week as as the interim CEO. And and I started again think about the importance of people and how people have made all the difference. You can have you can have the brightest, smartest, best people work for you, but if they don't care about all the other team members behind them, your culture will be rotten. If you don't listen to your customers because sometimes they just need to vent. They need, you know, you 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 probably have done something deficient, but they're probably more mad at something else. And it just all comes out when, when you're trying to service them. But unless you look at them as people and look at them as, uh, as human, then, then, you know, it's, the problem is on you. It's a bilateral relationship. So as I thought about that, the people first perspective was we got to keep it simple. We have to know what to focus on. You can fix equipment, you can replace it, you can evolve your technology, but people and their commitment to, to what you're doing is most important. So the, our trinity, our business trinity is customers are our beacon. Because we're municipal, the, we are really entrenched in the community that we serve. We think about it from a regional concept. We have a service territory here in San Antonio. We contribute to 
um, Texas, and we're part of a national grid virtually, and we're, we're actually disconnected from, from others. But, but we're part of this whole network of providing energy through a grid. And then when you look across the globe, the energy issues and opportunities that we have are pretty common amongst us. So that, that sense of community and the focus on the people who are trying to make things happen in their region is important. And then you've also got to bring your employees along. You know, again, our employees, some of them have worked in, you know, the same, you know, power plant their entire lives. And that's what they love. And, and but we have to help them in terms of the transition that's happening in the industry, the retraining, the conceptual views, the cultural views, the openness, um, the adoption of being tech enabled. All of that stuff has to happen. So that's why people first means so much to me. And it's not a definition. It's a feeling. It's a belief. It's a way that it's a it's a respect mode that you that you encounter every day and you treat everyone from the from the person who empties your garbage, right, to uh, a politician, you treat them the same. I've been wondering, what's your least favorite solar asset management activity? You know, those daily, weekly, sometimes monthly deliverables that you just have to check off the list but can be such a drag. Well, let me tell you how to press the easy button and get going on the work that really matters by automating your invoicing and ticketing and reporting with PowerHub. Focus on the work that you want to do. Take the boring stuff off your plate with PowerHub. You can go to powerhub.com forward slash suncast to learn more. Hey, have you been looking for a clever way to get on Suncast? Well, here's your chance. We've got a new segment called Suncast Weekly Roundup presented by LG Solar, and it's a part of the all new microconference experience at North America Smart Energy Week 2020. You can learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. You can register with our discount code to get 15% off. You can share your takeaways for a chance to win fun prizes and follow along. And as I said, you never know, you might even end up on one of the segments, but you got to participate to win. Hope you'll join us. Mysuncast.com forward slash SPI 2020. See you there. Have you been searching for that perfect role that gets you into clean energy or maybe transitions your career to the next level, might I invite you to check out LightSource BP. That's right, the global company focused on solar energy and low carbon economies backed by one of the largest energy companies in the world. From strategy around the world to action locally you can be inspired and be the change by joining lightsource bp by choosing a career at lightsource bp you will join a team that truly cares about creating a more sustainable future for our world through safe and meaningful low carbon energy projects learn more and find out what career awaits you at lightsourcebp.com forward slash careers i know from several accounts you have had some interesting experiences on Wall Street as an executive. Can you tell me a story or two that is emblematic of how you've had to earn that respect in the halls of or in the halls of uh, Wall Street and other places where you've represented the company? Yeah, I mean, like I, I don't I, I have you know quite a few and I don't I don't use them in terms of um, frustration even. I mean, they're just they're just learning experiences. But I, you know, 
I've had situations. I'm fairly I'm fairly well known in the municipal industry with the big banks. And um, so this really doesn't happen in in the the organizations that know me Uh, from the top and, you know, top directors to their frontline people to their trading desk. I get absolutely great respect. But but sometimes what would happen is I might show up to a location by myself. Like we might travel, but I'll say, I'll meet you there. I got to go do something. I'll meet you there. I show up by myself. I show up early. Um, There are other companies there at the same time. We're all kind of doing transactions. And it it hasn't been uncommon for me to say good morning to people and they don't say anything. Um, It's always odd though, when we end up sometimes in the same room and, you know, the bank that we're doing business with introduces me to everyone in the room and, you know, they're like, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm, yeah, I saw you earlier. I, you know, I was distracted. I, I you know, sometimes <laughs> I've interviewed, I've, I've had people come in and interview with me to, to be one of my uh, direct reports and I've seen them in the hallway. They don't know who I am. And, and I don't always wear a jacket. Most of the time I'm wearing one of our logo shirts or something and I'll say hi and nothing. And, and then I, you know, then I, then I watch them. And then I see, and then I asked the team, you know, our secretary, how are you treated? You went and picked them up at the front desk to bring them upstairs. How were you treated? You know, they'll tell you. And, you know, the people on the front line see, see us really for who we are. And I always believe you have a choice to be respectful. So I've had people come in my, my office, not realizing I'm the hiring uh, manager and their eyes get big. And once again, they'll say things like, oh, you know, I haven't been feeling today, you know, well today. You know, some people just don't realize I'm concentrating so hard that I, I, I just don't necessarily see things. My peripheral vision gets narrow because um, I was concentrating so hard. Well, you're not concentrating on people. Yeah, so, that's not people first right there. That's not people first. So, you know, those things have peppered in my in my uh, experiences over and over again, you know, I, uh, one of reporter asked me kind of a similar question. And they said, well, what, what about now? Well, now you got, you can Google me. (laughs) (laughs) There's no excuse now. They know, they know who I am now. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, look, I think, I think what, you know, this whole thing about black lives matter and, and, you know, the, it's, such a difficult thing. Technology is making the difference because now you can see these uh, videos and, and experiences are just horrific, but it, they're not new. Um, so really, really, and, and, and truly, I typically run into situations where, you know, even if I'm going out to eat, I don't necessarily always get the best service and people always assume we don't tip or, you know, they're rude until you tip them. And then they're like, oh, they really, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it, 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 there's still this systemic racism issue. And it's not, a, you know, I'm not indicting anyone who's not black or Hispanic or Asian. Matter of fact, I just really believe people should be treated with so much trust and respect. It shouldn't matter. I and, mean, you know, definitely it is about our character, as Martin Luther King would say. So I think we have a long way to go. But I, again, I love the fact that the energy industry is comprised of a lot of different people and from a lot of different places. And I think um, the utility industry is getting more and more diverse every day, and it will be infused by this confluence of bringing in solar and 
you know, where is hydrogen going in long-term battery storage or energy storage? All that stuff's going to change. And I, and I think ultimately, as, as long as we're holding ourselves accountable um, emotionally and making sure that our, that our qualitative skills are, are important, then I, I have a tremendous amount of faith. How have you begun to navigate the dialogue around improving that, uh, the, the, the diversity in our industry? And what does inclusion look like within that narrative? I'll, well, I will tell you this. For me, it doesn't look like stats. I mean, it doesn't, you know, we don't, we don't have quotas and stats. I mean, I think that's not growing people just because putting somebody in there because you want, you want the ratio to be the same as the population. What you want is you want to grow all your people and um, you want to talk to talk about the development of people. So for us, the conversation, when, when we do success in my perspective is, it's not a, it's not even a recipe. I had one executive that was fairly new and they go, well, what happens if you get two assignments for two years and they look like this and look like that? Does that, is that the recipe for, you know, progressing in the company? And I said, um, no, it's not standard. It could be, but it's not standard. Again, I think we have to treat everyone as an individual, look at everyone's background, really we do look for um, that learning gene, right? Someone who comes to us fully baked, what are you going to do with them? But if you look at everyone as an open canvas, if they've got that eagerness about them, uh, if they have that, you know, curiosity about them, we think, you know, that's something you can do, do with and that they're coachable. We have a concept called the quarterback model and we're, we put quarterbacks in charge of activities and we create money, running backs and specialty teams. And, but the whole point is you got to be coachable. And if you can be coachable, you could grow. And that's, that's not, you know, uh, restricted by color, race, uh, sexual orientation, any of those things. That's not a restriction at all. So we think about and talk about it differently. We make sure we do make sure that when we're hiring, we try to get a diverse pool of people, right? We we do a check, but it's not a it doesn't mean, I mean, I I I have white males working for me and they do a fabulous job, but it's more about again, what did they need in their in their effort to grow and how do we get each executive to pay it forward over and over again to talent. I, I will say, you know, for you, look, the biggest thing you're doing is you're not afraid. You're willing to have a conversation. And, and I think that's the biggest thing I tell, I tell everyone of, you know, other CEOs who, who don't happen to be a woman or a minority, the biggest thing is being open and not being afraid and being respectful, right? Sometimes people ask you the silliest questions, you know, as if, as if that, thing is something unique about who they are. What in fact, all you got to do is like, you know, what'd you do? You know, what, what, what do you, what, what did you do for fun that last year? Just open it up and, um, and treat people like people. And, and the more and more you, you do and stop taking your biases, we all have them into a encounter. I think that's the biggest thing that we can do for everyone. It's rare that I get a chance to have an industry uh, utility executive on Suncast. So uh, I would be remiss if I don't focus a bit on the energy transition we're experiencing. CPS Energy has demonstrated leadership. Texas as a state has demonstrated expansive leadership in renewables. What about the solar industry specifically excites you as a leader of CPS? 
No, like I like I said, we've been we've been courting solar for a long time. So um, I think I think what you know, look, it is um, it's a commodity now that I also think is so appealing to customers. And again, um, when you think about it in terms of distributed generation, and we have we have rooftop, we have solar hosts where where the customer doesn't have to pay anything. We make a relationship with the with the actual um, third party that puts the system on the home. Customer gets a credit. They're super happy, and that means there's no income barrier uh, at all to it. Some people can't do it even with the rebate. So. We're excited about that. And then we have community solar. People can just get a panel. And I do think that the creativeness around solar continues. And I think I think the general appeal is just great for the industry. So that's why we think it's important. We believe right now we're, we're sufficiently um, leveraged with wind. We've had it for probably about 20 years. And we think that there's a whole lot more that we can do with solar. So there's, we have this new exciting thing about bundling power, which the anchor of which is solar. So we're excited yeah. about it. Yeah, I want to talk about that. In July, CPS Energy issued an RFI, laying the groundwork for solar and battery storage. And as we discussed previously, you've been involved in over 400 megawatts that CPS already had issued in an RFI, RFP. Tell me about the current RFI process that you're going through, what you have learned from it and where, how that's going to support the, the ratepayers in the CPS district. Yeah, so so we we did we we issued an RFI and some people said, well, why is an RFI? Well, mostly it's because of COVID, right? Because we we are doing things differently. We're using uh, virtual means. We have been talking to companies virtually. It's different than being able to travel um, halfway around the world and actually observe it with your own eyes and take your technical team there. So we thought that said. We would we we still need to replace um, our older fossil units. They're, 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 our steam units are are you know over fifty years old, and it's it's time we're not getting them to be efficient. When we think the replacement power needs to be anchored by an increased investment in solar, so what we came up with was a profile and a and a bundle, and we wanted to significantly increase our investment in solar. And so up to 900 megawatts is, is the anchor of, of it. And we put out an RFP in 10 languages, and that was the feature. And then we put in not a lot, but we, we initially um, said, well, the profile for battery storage, lithium-ion specific, because we know the true benefit of that is its resiliency, its fast response, its ability to complement solar. And somebody said, well, why wouldn't you do more? You know, we've done some microgrids and some some different activity with it. And what we want is longer term duration. But for right now, two to four hour battery right in that spot uh, system works. But I think the really interesting part of the whole bundle is in there's 500 megawatts of firming capacity. So someone could say, um, I will do your 50, but I will do part of that or all of that additionally in battery storage or some other technology. And um, we want to hear from everyone about what those what those potential solutions are. For the RFI, we got some really good preliminary information. We got about 200 responses. 
about 10% of those responses came from, again, across the globe. And just about every language that we went after, we got a response from a company based in, in, in that uh, nationality. What it's doing now is we're analyzing this. We have um, Black & Beach is one of our partners. We have a consortium of partners that are also helping us with um, trying to work on a way to talk to our community about what bundling, why the benefits of bundling matter. And I was, you know, going back to your earlier part, you know, an anchor is solar because the price is so attractive. And what we want to make sure is that we blend that whole thing together. And, and what we do is we leverage our tried and true activities with the new. And so all of this matters and, it, and, and it's important that we also bring the community along at the same time, we want them to embrace solar more. We want them, we, we have the opportunity to think about even the 900 megawatts, some of it should be probably distributed. And so the creativity that others can bring to us, we're, we're super psyched up about it. You know, I think it's it's really demonstrative leadership. You've already established leadership through the Save for Tomorrow Energy Plan, which for those who are unfamiliar, saved 700, over 770 megawatts, roughly the equivalent of a power plant. So you guys are not only investing in megawatts, but also megawatts. I'd be curious as a component of this, obviously the question you under, uh, the underlying assumption of because COVID was why not issue an RFP directly rather than RFI. Your point is we wanted to source information so that we could be more well informed. With that information and more than 200 proposals, congratulations, by the way, that's phenomenal. Where is CPS in issuing the RFP? What could we expect from that RFP and how can folks prepare themselves for what CPS is going to be bringing into market? So awesome, great questions. And then you made me remember, actually what we did is we initially thought about it in terms of the, we call, we have a flexible path strategy. Um, I came up with that in 2017. I made my, my people's heads blow up because I said, we got to be flexible. And what if we never build another fossil fuel plant again? You know, their heads <laughs> went huge. But the, our point was we have to open ourselves up to opportunity and we have to assume our primary uh, business is service even though we're, we're an infrastructure company, it's service. And so we need to just be open and be flexible and, and, and accept uh, new ideas. And so the flex power bundle is that next step. But we also have what we call a flex step program, Save for Tomorrow Energy Plan. We want to take our energy efficiency and conservation strategies that include everything from distributed generation to weatherization to currently, um, to, uh, you know, just, just new types of devices that can be helpful. We want to refresh that at the same time. So that was included. We did, we did both. And at first we said, well, are we going to confuse the market? The market wasn't confused. Um, people bid on what they wanted to. We are analyzing. We got all the, the cutoff for the RFI was August 31. We've got our consultants on board. We're looking at the analysis um, now. We do have some other technical companies that are helping us kind of think through some of the complexities. I mean, some technology is so new, they haven't really had a lot of demonstrations, let alone fully operating um, activities. And we also want to encourage piloting in San Antonio. We want people to bring their ideas. So again, the, the community can just embrace this new idea that things are changing and we have the ability to, to, to use and do a lot of different things together. So I would say that our goal 
will be to buy probably in the November timeframe. And we'll think about the holidays and the impacts of that. But we want to try to get the RFP up and uh, hope it, hopefully it will. What we're learning is that we maybe we need to be a little bit more specific and in certain places and a little bit more, you know, leave it broad in others, meaning Not it's still important. Yeah, and it's still important that people understand our customers. We survey survey them all the time. We have six pillars: customer affordability, reliability, resilience, safety, security, and environmental responsibility. All done through a business financial stability uh, foundation. And customers over and over again say it is about affordability. It is about reliability, and so. We need to be really careful because what we're doing is we're we're, we're seeking to replace baseload generation with with you know new technology, and we've always been a big procurer. We we supply seven percent of the energy to the state, but we probably comprise about twelve percent of the reserve margin. Meaning we overinvest to be we we create a, a physical hedge in the energy industry that cushions our community against price spikes and things like that. Yes, we can do financial hedging and all that other kind of stuff, but typically the physical hedge has meant a lot to us. So we just want to make sure that when people respond to us, they know what we're trying to do. And so, you know, again, how might they rebundle? They they might even say, I want to rebundle this whole thing for you and, and let you uh, give you increased reliability and still give you great pricing. I mean, we just want to be open and we want to be a great partner. Um, with folks, we partnered the 400 megawatts with the was a with a company out of um, South Korea, OCI, and and we're and we're very open again to anyone in terms of their thoughts and ideas. We're not we're not, we're, you know, we've learned how to be appropriately um, able to to you know keep our eyes open and and our uh, learning gene on. So so we're excited. Yeah. For those who are interested in further reading, I'm not. I'm going to link to the newsroom for CPS so that they can read about the RFI. Uh, I'm also going to link to an article written by Josh Rhodes uh, just this past week um, in September. Oh, we are now in October 1st, but all about how Texas, uh, that Texas market is just becoming uh, a hotbed for renewables and how they're bigger in Texas. It gives a really good overview for those who are curious about how ERCOT works and the reserve margin that Paula was talking about. So we won't go into all those details, but given that we do have a huge contingent of solar folks, I wonder if you have a message for the solar installers. What do you want solar installers to know from the perspective of the utility industry? Wow. I mean, look, I think I think they bring, solar installers bring uh, I think uh, such a great opportunity to us. Sometimes we're so busy, you know, restoring power, maintaining systems. We're not a hard, you know, we're not out there maybe hoofing it the way solar installers are out there doing the the good work of trying to find customers who should be pursuing um, solar, but for don't have the information. I I tell you, you know, maybe biggest, don't get discouraged in dealing with utilities. It's not that we want to be discouraging. It's just a hard balance, but we need you and we need you to stay um, energized and we need you to come again with your ideas and thoughts and um, and realize that there are some challenges for us in the transition. And I do recognize that, you know, easily 15 years ago, people were big um, naysayers of solar inappropriately. 
And I think we've all had to, to you know, sit back and go, wow, we've learned this industry is, uh, it's serious, it's important, it's critical, it's, it's attractive, um, it performs, um, it's economical, it's helping, it's helping customers. Know that we know that, even if sometimes the things that we have to do might seem slow or difficult, we know that, and we know that solar is critical. And I think our partnerships as we move together are, are absolutely important. So, so just like I tell my people, don't get frustrated because of COVID and don't lose patience, have patience with us, forgive us, embrace us, partner with us, uh, help us. All of those things, I think, are absolutely critical to the to the globe's success and our goals to reach a lower emission, non-emitting, zero net zero emission goal. You're critical to that. And so are we. Paula Gold Williams is the president and CEO of CPS Energy, the nation's largest public power, gas and electric utility. And it has been my true and sincere honor to have you here on Suncast. I do hope that in some way I can get through the laundry list of questions that still remain. Maybe more questions will come through Twitter. So Paula, would you be open to coming back on Suncast for a future interview? Absolutely. I think you and I have a speed round to do. You you said you have all these questions you need to ask. So yeah, absolutely. I would love to come back. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And thanks to all, all the CPS team who helped make this possible. And thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Well, well, all right, my friends, that is a wrap on today's episode. And I am sure that you are also saturated with all the good ideas and fantastic information from Paula. Paula Gold Williams, thank you so much. That was amazing. And it leaves me with the same question as the New York Times. Why are there still so few black CEOs? And I'll say it. Why are there still so few female CEOs? in the power business. Renewables are on the rise and so is the desire for the workforce to have leaders like Paula at the helm. If you're eager to keep learning, then I would encourage you, my fellow Philomath, to continue over to mysuncast.com where you can find the resources and highlights, a ton of links to the information around the CPS Energy RFI, and so much more of the discussion between Paula and I. There are social media links like her Twitter handle at Paula underscore G-dub, Paula underscore G-w, book recommendations, and more. We didn't get into books in this round with Paula, but she has promised to come back and give us a round two. I hope that you'll take the time to go to LinkedIn, give us a like and a share, And a comment, more than anything, comment and tag Paula. Tell her how much you loved this interview. I hope you'll tune in next week as we'll have another fantastic set of interviews, a Tactical Tuesday and a Long Form Thursday going into the ins and outs, the what's and where's, who's and why's of how the clean energy economy is being built. Thank you for showing up this time. And as always, remember, you are what you listen to. So thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle.